friend. Thanks for checking out the Crosspoint Church podcast. It's our hope that these messages will encourage you to grow and thrive in your relationship with Christ. You can find more like this at the We're gearing up for Christmas and celebrating it. You hear it in our songs. And uh, as Sean said in the video, we're gearing up to a big weekend this coming weekend with our Christmas at Crosspoint. Uh, not only in our giving, my wife and I have been praying about that, of what God's going to put on our heart to give, but also in inviting and bringing people. And so we still have these cards available in the foyer and at the doorways, and you can invite someone. There's still a week left to invite them Saturday at 5 p.m. and then Sunday morning at 9 and 11. And uh, we hope you bring someone with you this season. Also talking about giving, just want to say thank you. We had 192 bags for our bag by the bumper. So well done, Crosspoint. Month after month, you show up and you're generous, and that goes right out into people that have need uh, in the weeks ahead. So thank you for that. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We're in this series called Do You Hear What I Hear? And we're looking at Christmas through the lens of Hebrews. And now I know what you may be thinking. Hold on. Wait a minute, Josh. I thought the Christmas story was found in Luke and in Matthew. And you would be right. The facts, the details of how Christmas happened are laid out in those books. The shepherds, the wise men, Mary and Joseph and the animals. But Hebrews, although you won't find those facts in there, you're going to find the why to all the what. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, does an amazing job of giving us why a baby in a manger matters to me and to you and how it changes everything. And so this morning, we're going to read out of Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. We're going to read 14 through 18. So if you have your copy of God's word, follow along. If not, it'll be up on the screens. Here we go, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help, uh, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. My mom had a saying when we were growing up, and maybe your mom or your dad said this as well. She would often say, the proof is in the pudding. Yes. Now, as a teenager, I had no idea what that meant. All I know is that it made me hungry for my mom's chocolate pudding every time she said it. Here's what I think she was trying to say is that it's, it's not enough to just say you're going to do something. It's not enough to just say words and empty promises. You have to have the action to back up what you're going to say. So there were times when I'd go to her and say, mom, can I go to my buddy's house after school today? Can I ride the bus to his house and we're going to hang out? And then his mom will take me home. And, you know, we, I've worked out all the details. And my mom would say, did you clean your room like I asked you to? 
And I'd say, no, but I promise to do it as soon as I get home. Parents, how many of us have heard that? Yes. Don't our kids get so nice and so sweet when they want something? Amen, Don? Yeah, you've been there. Yeah, so they get so sweet. They want us. Well, that's what I would do. And so I would say, I promise to clean my room as soon as I get home. And my mom would say, well, the proof is in the pudding. I still didn't know what it meant. And so I'm like, does that mean I can go or do I have to stay home? And what she was trying to get me to realize is that what she wanted from me is not a promise, an empty promise. She wanted me to clean my room. She wanted me to obey and time would tell if I actually cleaned my room. And I can't remember if I did or not. I probably didn't. I probably got home and made another excuse. But when it comes to this saying, the proof is in the pudding, this, it means that we need action to our words. Imagine if all I did all day long was write these sweet love letters to my wife all day long. All right, my wife was in first service and I told her she'd have to dig pretty deep to imagine that. All right, all day long, I'm just writing sweet love letters to her. She comes in the house after picking up the kids and going grocery shopping and I say, my dearest Jessica, my heart doth burn in passion for you. (laughs) You know what my wife would say? That sounds great, here's the vacuum cleaner. Prove it. Prove your actions. Prove your words with your actions. The reason is, is that words don't mean much if they are not followed up by actions that prove that the words mean something. We call this incarnation. Love needs an incarnation. Now, the word incarnation means really to be fleshed out. It means that the ideal or the abstract becomes real flesh and bones. So it's words becoming action. This is why when we refer to Jesus being born in a manger in Bethlehem, what do we call it? The incarnation. Because God backed up his words, his words like in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. He backed those words up with doing something. 1 John 1, 14 says that the word became flesh. God backed up his words with his action. Can you imagine if God was all talk? Think about that. What if God was all talk? And all he did for us as his followers was to send us a text every once in a while and saying, hey, my thoughts and prayers are with you, thinking of you, you got this, thumbs up. What kind of God would that be? I guarantee you we wouldn't be here today, would we? You wouldn't give your life. You wouldn't worship a God who is all talk and no actions. But when we get to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, God gives us the proof. Here's the proof in the pudding. As my mom would say, here is the proof to God's love. So he claims to be love. How did he show us his love? Here's what it says. I'll read it again. Verse 14, it says, since the children have flesh and blood, that means since we live and die and have pain and have sorrows, we live in a real world where we, there are things that break down, our cars break down, our dishwashers break down, there's bills, there's pain, there's joy, but there's also hurt. He's saying since we live in a world that is real and tangible, he too, Jesus too, had to share in their humanity. For God to 
flesh out love, he had to get involved at the human level, at our level. Verse 17 says this, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. Do you realize that God became fully human in every way? That means he felt like you feel. He probably stubbed his toe walking around the house. As a 17-year-old boy, he probably couldn't wait to get out and make his own decision. Oh, like every way except to sin, Jesus never sinned, but all the things that we feel, it says that Jesus felt those things. The divine became human, and not just human, because, you know, God could have sent Jesus as a mighty warrior. He could have sent him as a a hero, as a king. He could have sent him as a social media influencer. I mean, there's a lot of different titles Jesus could have come as. But I think it says a lot about God's love to send him as the most vulnerable human being ever, a newborn baby. Is there anything more vulnerable than a newborn baby? Think about it. The power of a baby. When we get older, we get prickly and we have our opinions and we have bad breath and we, you know, we have the bubble and I really don't want you to get in my bubble. All right. So high five knuckles, but let's not break the bubble here, but not a baby. If you don't believe me, stand in the foyer sometime and watch a mom bring a newborn baby into the foyer. Something happens to all the other moms and grandmas. It's like this magnetic draw. All of a sudden, they're all coming over and they want to get their hands on this baby and they pick them up and they start nuzzling them and they, they smell them. What's with the smell? They, they just want to smell this newborn baby. Why? Because vulnerability equals approachability, lovability. We're able to approach this vulnerable little human. And we smell them and we nuzzle them. My wife and I, these little newborn babies are kind of in our rearview mirror at this point in life. And I'm pretty much happy about that. I mean, it's so good to jump in the car and my kids buckle themselves. It's so good that they cut their own food. It's so good that they go to school and I have some time to hang out at, by, the ha- by myself. Like most of the time, but there's still those moments, especially for my wife, She misses the newborns. She misses those cuddly little babies. And so what we did, instead of having another baby, we just got friends that are having babies. And that's fixed our problem. So we were hanging around a baby, the wasses the other day, and baby had it, and my wife was holding him and kind of nuzzling him. And that is the picture of God getting vulnerable, close enough. When's the last time you went in the foyer and went up to someone and said, could I just sniff you a little bit? I just needed that. I just needed to smell someone, smell an adult today. When's the last time you went in and just said, can I just nuzzle your neck just a little bit? All right, I'm good now. I'm good. No, it's weird. It's creepy, but not to a baby. So I don't think it's an accident that God chose the most vulnerable person in all society. He chose the person that was the most at risk, that had nothing, nothing to protect himself. God, the ultimate powerful creator became the most vulnerable person. Why did he do it? Why did this happen? He did it like it says here. 
so that he could be like us in every way. So he could understand us at the most visceral level, the deepest level. And he would live his life in vulnerability. He would live his life going into uncomfortable situations. And as it says in verse 17, that he would eventually give his life for us. One commentator said that Jesus' life was bookend by radical vulnerability. That he was born the most vulnerable person as a baby. And second to a baby is a person who is treated like a criminal who has no rights and is strung out on a cross against their will. Jesus did that so he could get us, so he could understand it. That's what Hebrews chapter 2, that's what the writer is telling us, that the wonder of Christmas is that God became vulnerable for me and for you. He became vulnerable so he could prove his love. He could flesh it out and say, there is never a moment that you can say, God doesn't know what I'm going through. Because he's been in every situation. He got his hands dirty. He got in and he proved it. This is so shocking to us because this is not the way of human leadership for the most part. When a politician is only going to get involved, let's say, you know what, he goes down and he feeds the homeless in North City. When's he going to do that? When the cameras are rolling. When he's got to get votes. And so the cameras are rolling, he hands out the food to the homeless, and then once he gets elected, that power insulates him. That authority insulates him, and then he gets a staffer to do it. He's not getting his hands dirty. He's not getting involved, but God is different. He doesn't seek the things that humanity seeks. He sent a baby because what he wanted was not votes. He didn't want loyal subjects. He wanted a relationship with us. He wanted people to look to him and say, my God gets me and understands what I'm walking through. And just like a baby, that vulnerability brings us close to God. He's not a God that is far off. He's a God that we can get close to. It says that verse 17, for this reason, he had to be made like us, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest. God came down in the form of a baby became vulnerable so that he could understand and be a merciful God. Do you know the kind of people that make the best doctors, that make the best social workers, that make the best counselors, that make the best pastors, and I could go on and on? Do you know what it is that really makes a person set apart in those fields? It's not necessarily the most educated. It's not necessarily the most driven person, often, what makes the difference is empathy. And not just empathy, empathy that is born out of their own hardships. You want a doctor who has good bedside manners? Find a doctor who has been on the operating table himself. A doctor who has had to wear that paper-thin little robe, and that's all that separates you and the whole world, and get up on a table, and they turn on the bright lights, and everything you are is exposed to everyone in the room. That's vulnerability. You find a doctor who has been in that position and had to recover and had to get a nurse take him to the bathroom. You find a doctor who's been through that, and he's going to be passionate, and he's going to be full of mercy because he's been on the table. You find a counselor who has walked through hardship, 
Donna Tilly, one of our counselors that attends this church, she's talked to me before about moments in her life that could only be described as tragedies. And what it's done in her is it made her, as she looks across at her clients, it's given her a passion and a compassion. She's walked their shoes. Early on in ministry, I sat with a guy, I was fresh out of Bible school, and I had all the secrets to just preach incredible sermons. I knew how to parse the Greek and the Hebrew, and I was gonna be the next Billy Graham, and the people were just gonna fall on their knees at the altar call. It was gonna be awesome. I had learned all the secrets in Bible school. And then I went out to eat with a seasoned minister, and we were talking, and he said something to this effect, and it stuck with me. He said, Josh, people won't care how good your sermons are. They won't care how much you parse the Hebrew until you've sat with them and held their hands while their world is falling apart. Then they'll listen to you because they've got to know you've walked in their shoes. They've got to know you understand what hurt and what pain and what sorrow is. That's the kind of God that we serve a God that says, listen, I'm not gonna ask you to go anywhere that I've not gone myself. I'm not gonna ask you to feel anything, any level of hurt that I haven't felt myself. Jesus put himself on the table for us and it produced mercy and compassion and that's the God we serve, one that knows us, one that gets us, one that is acquainted with sorrows. It's why Isaiah, in Isaiah 9, chapter, verse 6, calls Jesus, speaking prophetically of Jesus, he says he will be the wonderful counselor. What makes him wonderful? He gets us. He's walked in our shoes. He became vulnerable. He knows what we feel like. Isaiah 53, Isaiah goes on to say this about Jesus. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse four, surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. What better person to carry our sorrows than a man who has walked sorrows? So what does this do for us? When we start walking through things, oftentimes Satan loves to get in, and here's what he does. He gets us to think about Jesus and push Jesus to the margins of our lives. So he gets us to think about Jesus as some kind of like 1800 stoic philosopher that is just kind of looking down his nose and saying, you guys aren't even close. Or he gets us to think of Jesus as some hippie, long-haired hippie guy that was just walking around hugging everyone, but he doesn't have any idea what I'm walking through. Satan, we have an attacker. It says in verse 15, it says, we have an enemy. His name is Satan, and he comes after us. And often what he does is he gets us to push Jesus as far away from real life as we can. And so what we often think is, ah, oh, God doesn't get me. What, is, what does God have any relatability in what I'm walking through now? But when we truly understand the story of Christmas, that God walked the most vulnerable parts of humanity, it changes the way we walk through sorrow. We understand that because God suffered, verse 18, because he himself, Jesus suffered, 
When he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That word for help is to, it's a word that means I heard a cry and to run towards a cry. It says, God has screamed out in agony himself so that when he hears his children scream or cry out or in their hearts the sadness, he hears it and he runs to it. And so that when life happens and we say things like, well, Josh, you don't, under, you don't understand the kind of child I, childhood I had. You don't under, understand how hard it was as a child. Jesus had a really hard childhood. Jesus' family could barely make ends meet. They were poor. They didn't have means. He grew up in poverty. Jesus understood strained relationships There's a part in the Gospels that says as Jesus came back to his hometown, his hometown rejected him. His friends, even family members, rejected him as the Messiah and said, dude, you've lost your mind. You just need to go back to being a carpenter. Jesus understood what it meant to have strained relationships, even with the people who should be the closest to you. Jesus understood what it felt to be alone, to be isolated, to have stress. Jesus gets us. Because Jesus became like us in every way, we never have to suffer alone. Isn't that comfort for us today? Isn't that a great thought? My heart is that as you see the nativity scenes around town and you look, maybe you've got one up there and you look at that baby Jesus and just instead of just thinking, oh, he's a cute baby, I want you to look at that nativity and said, that is God become vulnerable for me. He's walked it. He's walked the path I'm walking. And he never asked me to go somewhere that he hasn't been himself. He cares. He sees. And he gets us. There's a story about a lady named Kitty Genovese. And this story happened in 1964 in New York City. It was about a young girl who was murdered in the city. And now, uh, a murder case of a young lady in New York City is nothing normal. And yet, something about the details of this story shocked the nation. So, Kitty Genovese was coming home from work, and she was right outside her apartment complex when she was attacked by an assailant. And this assailant began to stab her And she began to cry out in a loud scream, help, help, I'm being stabbed. I need someone to help. Up above her in the apartment complex that she lived in, the lights began to go on. Windows began to open as people looked down on the street to where this 28-year-old girl was being murdered. And as the assailant saw the lights go on and heard the windows go on, he actually left for a little bit and Kitty was still alive and he he slunk back into the shadows because he thought someone is coming down. And after about five minutes, no one came down. He went back and he murdered Kitty Genovese and stole $49 from her wallet. It was documented that almost 40 people heard or saw the attack that night in New York City. One person was even reported in the newspaper to say this, I just didn't want to get involved. I just didn't want to get involved. 40 people that night 
looked down as a young lady was murdered in the streets and no one came down. Now, before we judge them, I've got to ask myself, would I have went down? What if I had family in the house? If I went down, it would have put me in a vulnerable situation. What if the attacker came after me? Before I cast my judgment, I've got to think of how many times I've drone, driven by on the highway, a mom there with her hood up needing help and I've just kept going because I didn't want to get involved. Doesn't it fill us with gratitude that when God heard our cries, you see all throughout the Bible, there is this phrase, I cried out to the Lord. David wrote it a number of times, I cried out to the Lord in my distress. Aren't you so glad that our God didn't shut the blinds, turn off the lights and put a pillow over his ear so he could drown out our cries and try to go back to sleep? We have a God who heard our cries and stepped down, not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of it. Jesus didn't just come to earth thinking, man, I better be careful. There's a risk I could die down here. Jesus came down knowing he was going to die with the mission of death, with the cross on his mind. He stepped down. He got involved. He put actions to the words that God is love. And he proved to humanity, he proved to me, he proved to you once and for all that we can never say, God is not with me, God has abandoned me, God does not love me. He's already proven that because he stepped down into our lives and he got involved. And so this morning, I hope that this message of Christmas, the message of why Jesus came, the message of the incarnation, I hope it fills you with comfort that whatever you're walking through right now, God is with you. He gets you. That there's not a deep enough dark chasm of the soul that Jesus cannot go to and step in and get involved in your life. And so it is a great comfort and it fills us with gratitude. But I also hope that this message goes just a bit further and challenges us to get involved ourselves. You see, Philippians 2 says that we as Christ followers should have the mind of Christ. That means that as Christians, we are becoming more like Christ and doing the things that Jesus did. He came to earth to be like us in every way so that we could begin to be like him in every way possible. That's taking on the mind of Christ. And so the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ has always been to get involved, to go to the vulnerable places to find the people, to get his hands dirty, to run to the risky situations and get involved. And as Christians, that's our call too. It's not an option not to. Like, it's not like, yes, I'm a Christ follower, but I'm just gonna stay here where it's comfortable. That's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of Christmas. And so this message has gotta nudge us and challenge us, where is God asking me to get my hands dirty? Where's he asking me to step in? Where's he asking me to risk something 
to prove that I really do love people. Now, some of you, it could be feeding the homeless in North St. Louis. Like that, that may be what God's calling you to, but for some of you, it may be harder to be emotionally present for your husband or wife. It may be harder to do that than it is to feed the poor in the city. So this is not just go find people who are really broken. The people God may be asking you to get involved might be in your home under your roof. Maybe God is saying, hey, dad, hey, mom, you work a lot and you, that, he's proud of that and you're providing for your family. But what if you risk having a little less money in overtime and you got involved in your kid's life and you were present and you were able to take your daughter on a date or throw catch baseball with your son? What if God is saying for you, hey, that would be getting your hands dirty going to the people who need you most. Maybe it is joining a life group. We say this a lot, but we know it can be scary joining a life group. Some of you are just like, dude, I don't do the whole getting into the house with other people. It's really uncomfortable for, for me. And I get that, but it was really uncomfortable for Jesus to come to earth and to be treated the way he was and to live out his life. And so I get you, and I don't want to push too hard. I don't want to offend you too much, but maybe God is actually pushing you to be a little uncomfortable, to get involved, to see how he can. And I'm not saying it's all going to work out. I don't want you to hear me saying, well, I guess if I just join a life group, it's going to be easy to be around different people than me. No, it's going to be risky. And they might take you to the bottom. I don't know. Jesus risks a lot, but he calls us to those things. I was talking to a life group leader, him and his wife, their life group sponsored an Afghanistan family this year for Christmas, and they bought all the kids gifts. And so uh, last weekend, him and his wife took the gifts over into the city, South City, and they delivered these Christmas gifts to the family. And the husband said this to me, and I love this, because this is, I think this is what Jesus wants to do and what it looks like in everyday lives. He says, man, I'm the kind of person that would just like to take the, the presents to the doorstep, ring the doorbell, get in my car and leave. He's like, that's, that's what I'm comfortable with. But we decided we were gonna go in and for an hour they got to hang out with this Afghan family. They got to eat and sit on the reclined tables and the pillows and eat fruits and nuts and hear some about their culture and hear about how they came to St. Louis. And it turns out that, that the life group leader and this Afghan husband actually had some things in common. They exchanged some information and they planned to kind of get together as families in the future. That is involvement. That's becoming vulnerable. Instead of knocking on the door, here's your presence, gotta go. Christian love move them a little bit further to go inside the house. So what is God asking of you? What is a vulnerable step you could take? Is it a conversation with someone that you know God's been asking you? Is it asking your neighbor out to coffee just to get to know him? Like, I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm almost positive that you know what your next step is. You know what God is nudging you to do. And I would just pray that would the message of Christmas help you in your decision? Do I stay safe? Do I become vulnerable? Do I stay safe? Do I become vulnerable? What would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? 
he became vulnerable for me. I'm gonna be vulnerable for him. Can I take that step? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each person in the room today. God, our hearts are full of gratitude as we think of Christmas and it's so much more than what our culture has made it. It's about a God who got involved. You got involved in our life, Father. So fill us with gratitude. Let us remember, God, if there's someone here that is suffering, maybe they're suffering physically, would they be encouraged though, even though the pain may be there tomorrow, they understood that you understand them, you get them, and you've walked the road of physical suffering. Maybe there's a young person in the room and they're good health-wise and they've got all the money they need, but maybe in their soul, there is this feeling of not being good enough, of shame for things they've done, and they wrestle inside with these emotions. God, you're there too. You hear the cries, even if they're not expressed verbally, you hear the cry of our soul. And so maybe for someone in the room, you're meeting them in that dark place that they spend a lot of time in. And you're reminding them, I'm there too. God, if there's someone in the room that has not put their faith in you, right now, may it be the moment that they say yes to a Jesus that said yes to them, that came for them. God, as a church, we want to be risk-taking in the direction of the cross. We wanna move towards people. We wanna move towards situations that allow us to be present and show our love and show Christ-like love. So help us today, whatever that is, whatever you've brought up in our own hearts and minds, let us commit right now, I'm gonna do that thing, that one thing, that step, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna honor God because of what he's done for me. So we pray all this, help us this Christmas to keep our eyes locked on you and locked on what you've done for us. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. May you take comfort when you pass that nativity scene this week. Look at that baby Jesus. Think of what he became for you. Hey, we hope you'll join us this Wednesday as we worship and we pray. And, uh, and then would you be praying for our teams? We've got lots of practices this week. They're prepping. They're gonna put on an excellent service. And we're believing the Holy Spirit's gonna show up and move in the lives of all those that we've invited. Thanks for being part of it. We'll see you this week. Thanks again for joining us. You can check out thecrosspoint.com for more resources like this. 